PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Don't know what that is? Go to LogRockets.com. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Ben, and we have Anthony Campola with us. Uh, Anthony, welcome, and uh, could you uh, introduce yourself to the audience, please? Hey, what's up, Ben? Thanks for having me here. My name is Anthony Campolo. I am a developer advocate at Stepsin, and I am also the core advocate for uh, Redwood JS, which is an open source JavaScript library where React or where GraphQL is a very important kind of base layer of how it all works, and kind of get into that as we go. But I go out and I write blog posts and I do meetup talks and I do podcast interviews such as this. I also host my own podcast, the FS Jam, which actually has had, I think it's about five or six overlapping guests between our, <laughs> our two shows. So we have similar interests for sure. Definitely. And uh, we, we've talked about Redwood before. We had David Price on the podcast a couple of weeks or months ago, a while ago. So, you know, if anyone is interested in the deep dive on Redwood, definitely check out that episode. But today we, you know, we, we discussed a bit before the episode and folks may see it in the title of the episode is we were going to talk about GraphQL um, and really look at this more as a GraphQL 101 for f- folks who have not used GraphQL or aren't super familiar GraphQL has been out for a few years now. It's been growing tremendously in popularity. And it'd be great, you know, we can kind of do an introduction to what is GraphQL and how does it help you build great web apps. And so, Anthony, maybe you could start there, like high level, what is GraphQL, bit about the history, and then go from there. I'm a big history buff myself, so I always (laughs) enjoy learning where these things came from, especially for something like React and all the stuff that goes around React is it all came out of Facebook transitioning into the mobile world. So you're going to frequently hear people talk about this time where Facebook kind of bet all, it went all in on HTML5 and this kind of like new web thing that was meant to try and get us to a place where we were using like native web APIs. But React was kind of a different, different thing back then. And it was all about the like how you have a one-way data flow that you could do really nice data fetching with. And it also went along with this thing called Flux. So let's kind of step it back and talk about like what was the actual the actual problem here. The actual problem was that you can't just send a ton of JavaScript over the wire because it's a lot of code. Our devices can't necessarily handle all of that code and can't do all the things that we want it to do. So what we need it to do is we need to be able to send smaller queries for lower powered devices. And this is like, sounds like really kind of esoteric and weird and specific, but it had huge implications in terms of how we thought about what GraphQL is and how we would we want to work with it. So that's, that's kind of like the, the history of, of where it came from. And, and this is actually almost like 10 years ago now that it first started and it eventually became a foundation and kind of like hit the scene and most people knew about it around like 2015. And now we're kind of seeing the downstream effect of it. Got it. So does does GraphQL predate React? Is that correct? So they, 
so it predates it in the sense that it was started around like 2012 or so. And so React came out around like 2011, but wasn't really released to the public around like 2013 or so. So they're, they're all kind of overlapping, but by the time GraphQL was kind of debuted to the world, React was already a thing and people had kind of already heard about it. And so the success of GraphQL is kind of a downstream of, of it because once you had this whole like React kind of kind of thing, you're like, okay, we, we know what the, the front looks like and we kind of work backwards from there. So it's about saying, let's start thinking first, like from the query and then build everything around that. So it's about starting with the front end devs, like mental model, and then going from that step. Got it. And before we dive into GraphQL, is really a framework that uses GraphQL or was it just a similar architecture? And maybe just a quick introduction to Relay because I think some of that history is interesting. Yeah, and this is a really good question because Relay kind of sits in between the Reacty stuff and the GraphQL stuff because GraphQL itself doesn't really have anything to do with React or even with JavaScript. And so let's let's talk about that where this is a specification of how to basically get your front end and your back end to agree on like a schema and agree on types. And that's what makes it really unique because you could agree on those types with a Go backend or a, a Java backend just as well for, for a node kind of kind of JavaScript backend and you can do that translation and what relay was doing is it was handling like the client side cache because there's gonna be a lot of stuff around like caching and, and normalization that that goes along with this but the the thing that made relay really cool is that it kind of translated from GraphQL to like, React kind of kind of speak, and this is where the, the historical stuff comes into play because they all kind of were designed together and they all fit very well together. So that's why React and, and GraphQL they they fit very well because you have this like kind of relay piece that that fits it all together, but they're not technically coupled technologies. So it's like a, it's a lot of weird kind of like how, how does this stuff all all fit together? Like do they require each other? That they don't, but they they actually kind of do because they, they should philosophically fit together. It's this whole kind of weird like which these pieces do I actually need, which do I don't, you know? Yeah. I mean it's it's almost kind of like with React and then Redux and like they're they're coupled but not necessarily coupled. Um but like you'd kind of need a state management layer for React and kind of same idea here like you have GraphQL, but then you do need something to couple it to your view layer, and I guess Relay solves that problem. So looking at GraphQL, um, you know, we've mentioned a bit of types and schema and kind of the ability to request just the data you need. So a couple of these disparate ideas. Maybe could you give like an overview high level? What is GraphQL and how do people use it and um, how does it help? Yeah, I think if you're a developer, like, from, from our point of view, the way to think about it is actually, it's very simple. You just think of it like a JSON object with with just the keys and, and no values. So it's just like nested objects within objects within objects. So you see an object, your curly brace, they have an object in that, they have a curly brace. And so that's where it's really, really simple to write because you would just say, okay, I want to get 
movies. So you'd write movies and then and then uh, parentheses, and then inside that you have uh, I want the name of of the movie. So it's about having like kind of nested queries inside of each other, but then it's always just a query inside of another query. So it's it's very like kind of recursive in that sense, and that's kind of like the the whole query language is what is you're kind of optimized for if you just look at a query it is very readable like you say i want this and i want these things from that that item or that object or or whatever it is so it's a uh, really nice because going back to the schema and the types you always have that available for your graphql kind of server so you'll frequently hear people compare graphql and rest and this is one of the things you'll you'll hear talked about is that you only have like docs for, for a REST endpoint unless someone sat down and wrote those docs versus with GraphQL, you're always going to be able to see, okay, what is this actual data? Like, what are, what are the things on that data that I can get? And then you don't have to think about, okay, how to actually write the query to get that because GraphQL has standardized the query language for you. So you can learn this standardized query language that will then allow you to interact with any GraphQL server you want because we have these agreed on specifications. And so would it be accurate to say that with GraphQL, instead of whereas REST, you have like a whole bunch of endpoints for each type of data you want to request or send. GraphQL, you have like one endpoint, but then based on how, based on the, that kind of JSON valueless object you send, you can request just the data you want in the shape you want it. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, totally. There's the, the two pieces is you nailed it. There's the, the query and then there's the endpoint and GraphQL is really, really great because it, as you say, it simplifies it to only a single endpoint. So you always know exactly where you need to, to send the query. And then because you have the standardized query language, you just have to know what is the schema and then you can figure out how to, how to send that, that query. And I'm curious to hear more about that idea of like docs being generated automatically based on the schema, because that you know, certainly one of the challenges with REST is documentation. And having used GraphQL, one of the things I love about it is like graphical and kind of that spelled G R A P H I Q L, uh, basically the tool for introspection of GraphQL APIs. So, could you speak a bit about that? Yeah, you'll you hear them called GraphQL Explorers and GraphQL Playgrounds yes. as as well. Yeah, it's. I want to start and say I hesitate to refer to them as auto-generating docs. I actually think auto-generating docs is an oxymoron because docs, by definition, have to be written by a person. <laughs> That's the only way they'll actually make sense. Fair enough. <laughs> but it gives you it, the closest you can possibly get to, to auto-generated docs in the sense that you can know at least what can I actually do against this. Like, can I write to it? Can I read to it? Can I update it? That that kind of thing. And it bakes that into the schema. And that's what's really cool about it because you're allowed to basically take any schema from any other GraphQL and just kind of modify it for your own needs because you can always see the schema. And this is what I mean about being kind of auto-generating auto is that you have this kind of graphical playground thing. And I would recommend people go to rickandmortyapi.com <laughs> forward slash GraphQL. I think that's what it is. If you also just Google that, you can find that endpoint. And that'll take you right to one of these graphical editors. And on the right, you'll see docs and schema. And you can click those and kind of kind of play around. So I, I always start people off just with like an endpoint like that. Like, so you can go to this endpoint and they can start querying it and getting the data back and just kind of show them how to look at the docs, how to make the query. 
And that is a really good way to actually get people's hands on GraphQL and breaks down like all this crazy abstract stuff that, that we're talking about. It just kind of breaks it down to the level of like, all right, how do I actually interface this? How do I write queries? How do I how do I get data back? And it's like Postman or, or Insomnia, these kind of API client tools that a lot of us as developers know really well and are leveraging. And it, it kind of sits like a weird middle intersection between something like that and like a full-fledged kind of front-end framework. And tell me a bit about posting data, or I guess that in a, a, in a REST API, you can do a post request, GraphQL, I think it's some mutation. W- what does that look like? And what are some of the ways that GraphQL mutations maybe improve upon post requests in a REST API? Because you don't necessarily want to think about all these working the same way in, in the REST world, because in GraphQL, you only do posts. So what I mean by that is anytime you're sending something to the server, it's going to just be a post. Like you're not going to do gets or or puts or, or anything like that. And the reason why is because you have the, the schema, the language, the GraphQL, the whole thing exists. So you already have it baked into the language in terms of you actually write literally the word query or the word mutation, like before you you do a thing. And some people may have heard the term CQRS, which is a fancy way of saying command query responsibility segregation, which is about separating your commands from your queries. If you just change command to mutation, then query keep query. That's that's kind of what we're talking about here. So I think of the the you have the the query is getting data, so reading, and then anything else is a mutation. So creating is a mutation, updating is a mutation, deleting is a mutation. And with GraphQL, you're basically going to say, okay, I'm going to write a query, so I want to get this data back, or I want to create. And then you have an input of like what you want to feed it, so, so you can do arguments. And then the whole kind of crud is is baked into what, what GraphQL is itself. Got it. And... Kind of below the GraphQL layer, you have whatever data store you're using, generally assuming there's a database back in your application. And I'm curious, like, when you're using a SQL data store, what are some of the synergies with GraphQL that you get, especially with regards to maybe type safety of your query? And particularly, like, we've talked about Prisma on the show before, so curious to maybe hear you explain some of kind of those integrations between GraphQL, Prisma, or MLayer, SQL. One of the things that people really like about GraphQL is that it is very much this kind of like mediator between the front end and the back end. So it's not really tightly coupled to any sort of database technology, but it does work very well with SQL because going back to this whole historical thing, Facebook was was very well known for being the the LAMP stack, you know? And so they they had this whole PHP stack that they were using as their backend. And that's kind of what was being, ended up being translated into this, this GraphQL thing. And so with Facebook, you had this way of basically, since you could specify the endpoint you would be able to specify the types and then you'd be able to do all sorts of really nice introspection into that in terms of being able to like generate, auto-generate stuff with the types. And it's actually kind of funny because it, it goes back to this, like they had their own like typed version or it was like an extended version of, of PHP called like hack or X, 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 XHP. Like they had all these other kind of like 
language extensions that ended up turning into what we, we now think of today. But so getting back to it being a, a middle layer, it doesn't have to necessarily be SQL or, or no SQL, but it can actually be either. And so this is where something like Prisma comes into play. Prisma is an ORM, and they had a long kind of soul searching over whether they call themselves an ORM or not. And I think you talked to uh, Nico about that. And they eventually decided that, you know, people know what an ORM is. It's a, it's a tool that kind of makes sense to people. And it became the, the kind of mediator between your front and your back end at the, the database level, and then Prisma kind of decoupled themselves from the GraphQL stuff. And so this is where more of the kind of history comes in is, is very confusing and kind of hard to get into. So it's not really like that important, but Prisma used to be entirely wrapped up with GraphQL and then is, was kind of extracted out of the GraphQL and became just this database thing. And so with say Redwood JS, Redwood JS, they handle the, the schema. So you write your kind of GraphQL schema, and you also write your kind of Prisma schema. That's how you can kind of keep those two separate from each other. And this is what allows these tools to become a lot more decoupled than, than they used to in the past. Because if you want to just bring in now a whole Postgres backend, you can do that with, with Prisma. But if you also want to switch it to, say, like a MongoDB with NoSQL, you can do that as well. And that's like really amazing and hasn't been something that you could really do with an, an ORM tool in the past. Got it. Yeah, no, makes sense. And in terms of some of the terminology that someone getting started with GraphQL might want to understand, we talked a bit about schema. We talked about queries, mutations. There's a few other words I think of like input types or interfaces or concrete types. So could you go through some of those and um, what each of them means? Yeah, they want GraphQL to be kind of extensible itself because they want it to be a, a full-fledged language in, in that respect. So you have all these ways of, of typing it. And this also gets into kind of like this whole JavaScript versus, versus TypeScript debate and what you kind of get out of having typing. And the real thing is just is you get a lot of nice developer tooling around it is you get a lot of nice autocomplete, you get error messages. When you have your project that's kind of type aware, there's a lot of really good downstream effects of that. And so that's why you want to have like you want to have your, your data your database be typed, and so you want to have those types kind of flow from the back end into the front end. And so that's where something like GraphQL is is really nice in terms of agreeing on the types as as the front end or the back end. And then once you agree on the types, then you can start building all the all this tooling around that. And we talked about the, the graphical editor. You can take that a step further where not only do you have this really nice editor that you can write queries in, you can actually have like just a click and drag and drop kind of thing where you can just like start clicking stuff and it'll write like your graphical queries for you and have put things into the into the right places for you. Got it. So to take a step back, curious to hear a bit about your journey and you know, what led you to becoming you know, such a passionate uh, GraphQL expert. And yeah, maybe you could tell us a bit about you know how 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 you fell into this world. Yeah, it's a it's a long and, and winding story. But um, the the kind of TLDR is that I was originally a musician and did a lot of music teaching and worked 
in more kind of performing arts like environments and did that for I'd say like kind of half of my 20s and so I started as a music teacher and then I ran a performing arts summer camp called U Camps for a couple years and eventually just decided I wanted to kind of get into a job that would be kind of more creative like like the arts but also be more kind of tech focused and would have kind of more like harder skill set associated with it and so I ended up trying to learn like data science and like machine learning type stuff. This was back when like deep learning was kind of like first coming out, like DeepMind was like this big thing and AlphaGo and all that kind of stuff and didn't really get a lot of traction with that. And it was just like very hard to kind of like learn that on my own. And then I eventually kind of fell into the like web dev JavaScript kind of thing. Cause going back to like, this is for me, this is really about like getting, getting a job and having a stable living and all that kind of stuff. So at a certain point, I kind of like kind of reevaluated. It was like, all right, what am I actually trying to do here? And I'm trying to get a job coding like JavaScript and especially React is going to be the thing to learn. And so I kind of pivoted to the more web dev, HTML, CSS, JavaScript kind of world. And I started going to Lambda school and Lambda school who is actually in the news recently these days as they tend to be. It's a very controversial um, income share agreement school where you don't pay anything before you start the boot camp, but you sign a contract where you pledge a certain percentage of your income for two years after you get a job. So the idea being that you don't pay a dime until you already have a job and then they get a certain cut of your income. And so I did Lambda school and learned a lot of React and a lot of just kind of modern JavaScript kind of kind of stuff. And as I was doing that, I started learning about Redwood.js. And so Redwood.js is kind of the, the linchpin of, of a lot of these things and, and how I got into GraphQL because it just fit a very specific <laughs> kind of problem set that I was learning at Lambda School, which is how do you build a full stack React <laughs> project? And it's there's like it's a very nuanced thing because you have this weird kind of single page application thing going on that's talking to your backend, which is gonna be like some sort of express server talk on like a Postgres connected to a Postgres database. And then you have to figure out that whole data flow and then how to manage like the auth and, and all that kind of stuff. And and Redwood was a framework that basically said, hey, we, we solved all this for you. It was very much what you would call a convention over configuration idea. It's very opinionated frameworks what people talk about. And again, we can direct people to the, the actual Redwood episode on the, on the show to kind of get a taste of all of that. But I used it and immediately just like got it. And I was like, this is, this is really, really cool. And I was using GraphQL without really realizing it because in Redwood, GraphQL is like, it's the whole deal. Like your front end React app basically is making GraphQL queries directly into your back end, which is a, which is a Postgres database. And so you basically create this GraphQL server and GraphQL client have it all contained within a single project and you get that out of the box. You don't have to figure out how to actually wire that all together. And you can have like these generator commands that would just like spin up interfaces for you really quickly going back to, you know, a nice tooling and stuff that goes along with this. Once you kind of build up these layers of abstraction, then all of a sudden you have this whole super powerful framework that you didn't have to do anything to get. You just have to understand 
what is GraphQL, how to use it, and the mental model that goes along with it. I'm curious, um, as you pointed out, there's a lot of controversy around Lambda School. So, like, curious to hear about your experience. Um, sounds sounds very positive, but, you know, would be interested to hear kind of how you felt the program was and was it valuable and something you'd recommend to others. I think with boot camps, it's always going to be hard because you can't give blanket advice on it in general in terms of everyone's situation is going to be so unique and so contextual. And it's going to be really hard to say what's actually going to be right for, for someone just as like a general case. I do think Lambda was good for me. I do think that I owe Lambda a lot in terms of like me getting where I am. I, I hesitate to, to give them too much credit because I essentially ended up dropping out of Lambda to do Redwood instead, which is a decision that is one of those things that, like in retrospect it worked, but it's like at the time would have seemed like a really bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, really good if you just don't really know kind of what direction to go and you need to just have someone like kind of point you in a in a direction. But for for me, I kind of had to find something that was going to allow me to actually like work on the code with senior developers. That was, that was really the biggest thing with doing something like Redwood is that you get to actually be in like the thick of it in a way you can't in, in a boot camp. You're seeing these kind of high level discussions that are that are happening, and you know that you don't fully understand them because just all these words are thrown around that don't make any sense to you. But as you start listening to these conversations, you start listening to these conversations over the course of months, if not years, then things start to to click together and they start to to make sense. So, I would say if you are someone who is interested in boot camps, you're going to want to just research what's going to be available, you know, to you and what are going to be the different financial obligations that, that go along with that. And then once you kind of know that, then you want to ask, okay, how do I speak to people who've been to this school, who've gone through it so I can get their like kind of honest opinion on it. It's the, the thing that just makes it hard is that because it's set up to be, to be free and that basically anyone can do it. They have to set up the system in a way where they know like half the people going through it aren't <laughs> going to make it to the end and that they're going to give up at a certain point and that they need to have that be an option while also not letting that detract from people who do want to stick it till, till the end. So there's, there's no kind of good answer for that. And that's why you end up with this huge kind of churn and, and rounds of layoffs and, and things like that. Cause you're constantly iterating there because you're trying to figure out how do you do this? Cause no one's ever done this before, you know? So it's, it's not easy. And I, and I, and I think people have a hard time really cutting Lambda some slack in terms of like what they're doing and, and how hard it is. But then at the same time, like they're not perfect and, and you can't act like these things are, are perfect when they're not. Cause these are people's lives you're, you're messing with and you're giving them advice about whether to go to these, to these boot camps or not. So it's, it's, I, I can't give a, a simple, yes, this is a good or a bad boot camp, or yes, you should go to this or not go to this, because there's, there's too many considerations that, that go along with it. But hopefully those considerations, knowing what those are, can, can kind of help people out. So this week we have um, a couple of listener-submitted questions. This is a new segment we're doing where we reach out to our audience. You know, we, we say kind of what the topic of the episode will be, and people submit questions. The first one I have here is, what are the most exciting new things that are coming to GraphQL this year that people should be on the lookout for? There's always going to be new things coming out and new things in the in the scene. And when I look at the the whole ecosystem of GraphQL, I think of usually there's kind of the the open source world, and then there's like the kind of 
software as a service kind of kind of corporate world and i find that almost everything that's going to be interesting is going to be more of a bottoms up kind of open source focused way and that that's going to kind of have downstream effects in terms of the the types of products that we actually use but i would point people to uh, this group called the guild and it's a it's a really fantastic group of developers who kind of have their own unique <clears throat> kind of like decentralized model where each individual contributor basically like owns the repo of whatever kind of project it is and they have all these different kind of interlocking tools that make up this like greater suite of of things of, of graphql tools and so they've got a lot of things that are kind of coming together around things like GraphQL Helix and Envelope or Envelope. There's a kind of controversy over how that is being said. And that's some of the stuff that that I find really interesting is how do we expand out beyond these kind of base GraphQL libraries and frameworks that everyone knows about? Because most people, when they're introduced to something like GraphQL, they're introduced to it through the lens of one of these specific tools or, or companies, whether that's like Prisma, or whether it's Apollo, or whether it's Hasura, or any any of these kind of companies, that's usually kind of the, the entry point people get into them. But there's a lot of really cool stuff happening among just like the different libraries and, and ways of working with GraphQL. So I would point people to things like GraphQL Helix and things like GraphQL Shield and GraphQL Mesh. There's a lot of these really cool pieces of technology and, and going back to I mentioned how I worked on Redwood on the, the core team, and then that eventually led to a job in this company called StepZen. StepZen is a company for creating managed GraphQL API gateways, and it sits at this really cool intersection between things like databases and, say, REST APIs. So you could turn a database schema into a GraphQL schema, but you could also turn a REST endpoint into a, a GraphQL schema. And this is what you could do with something like GraphQL Mesh. So kind of expanding out to where like GraphQL is eating the world kind of idea is that you can figure out a way to kind of start with GraphQL and then like have that expand out into all these other areas. And it's like, how do we do that translation to where we want it to go? So next question is, who should people follow to get the latest and greatest about GraphQL? I think that, that speaks to kind of a a general thing I hear from a lot of f- folks in the front end world that like things move so quickly and how do you stay on top of new developments or, or tools? And uh, I mean, Twitter is certainly one good place if you know who to follow. So maybe we'll, we'll scope it to that. Like any recommendations of who to follow on Twitter to stay on top of GraphQL stuff? Yeah, well, I, I'm definitely aggressively on Twitter. So <laughs> If you want to know about GraphQL stuff, you can follow me and I'll get you a, a pretty decent big big chunk of them. But um, there's a great newsletter called GraphQL Weekly that's done by, I believe, the, the GraphQL Foundation. That's a really good one that I would recommend people check out. Um, if you look to kind of people who have been around the scene for a while, people like Yuri Goldstein or people like Sean Grove, they're, they're always really good sources for a lot of this stuff. And... It is a very much open source kind of focused tech. So you'll find a lot of people who are just out there kind of talking about it and and doing stuff with it. I think that you're going to have a hard time kind of figuring out 
who the specific kind of like thought leader you may want to be be following. So it's going to probably depend on like what your kind of philosophies around around GraphQL are going to be. So there's there's not even within GraphQL itself, there's still not really broad consensus around certain things. So I would say that you know things like GraphQL Weekly, and then kind of trying to just figure out like what are the actual GraphQL projects that are around, like what have what has the most stars, what doesn't, do stars actually matter or not? It's kind of like its own its own separate question. But if you just kind of keep your keep your eyes up and listen, especially to like podcasts, like there, I, I really can't stress like how important listening to podcasts like such as this one. I can listen to this podcast since you guys started. Actually, I was, I was really happy when, when you guys started doing it because you're, you're interviewing so many of the same people and talking about these these same types of conversations. And there's like, there's never going to be just one person to follow because you have to figure out a way to follow the sum total of the conversation. And the only way you can really do that is by being a fly on the wall of like lots and lots and lots of these conversations. What is the best place to start when you are hoping to learn GraphQL? Yeah, there's actually a pretty good onboarding experience in the sense that you can just go to graphql.org and they have a from total beginner, total scratch, GraphQL 101, I'm just explaining all the stuff we've kind of talked about. And, and I, I really recommend starting here when you're explaining this to someone or just sending people here when you want them to learn about it because they actually just visually see it. Like they can see the query, they can see the code, like all the stuff that, that we're talking about is very abstract and you just try and talk about it. But if you actually like, show someone the code, like that's what makes GraphQL really nice. The code is like simple, it's concise, it's readable. So you can just show someone query and show someone the response you get back from that query. It usually clicks immediately. There's like, oh, okay, cool, I get it. <laughs> and, it's, and it's great. So if you go to graphql.org, that's the very basic kind of hello world getting started. And then the docs get you a little further than that in terms of like also show you how to start to make like a, a GraphQL server and all that. But I would then point people to howtographql.org. It's a really great site that has larger kind of full stack tutorials. I'll show you how to do the whole integration between the, the front end and the back end. Because there's going to be multiple layers to this in terms of how deep you want to you go into it. Because there's always going to be two pieces to it. It's going to be the front end piece. It's going to be the back end piece. So there's going to be a GraphQL server. And there's also going to be a GraphQL client. And whether you want to own that whole space yourself, or if you just want to own the front end or the back end, that's going to then dictate what you need to learn and where you want to focus your time. And it's cool because it maps very well to if you were a front end or a back end dev, you're going to be able to find a, a place that kind of fits in and it makes sense with, with GraphQL because there's still that kind of separation between what is the front end and the back end. And that's what makes it nice because then you have a unified understanding of how your front and your back end should talk together. And that's where you avoid all this like REST API soupness. What are some common misconceptions about GraphQL? Yeah, I think the biggest common misconception is that it's this really fast moving, constantly breaking, cutting edge kind of piece of tech type situation when it's actually all of that happening around a very stable core because it's a spec. So it's really important that people understand that the difference between something being a spec and something just being like an open source library and the the difference is that there actually is a specification 
where they've written down like what it means to be a GraphQL server, like what the, the actually goes along with that, what the uh, requirements and restraints of that are. And so you can follow the GraphQL spec and you never have to use any of these tools or these libraries that we've we've mentioned at all. You could just create it with just like a you know a Ruby on Rails backend and then hit it with like you know vanilla JavaScript from the front. You don't need to use a GraphQL client or a JavaScript library at all. And that's what I like to get across to people is that it's actually a very simple <laughs> and very like basic kind of kind of model that then you have all these other things built on top. So you want to first really get a handle on like what is GraphQL before you start getting into what are GraphQL frameworks and then what are GraphQL companies and then how does all that fit together. And then that, that stuff can kind of come later once you start to understand what GraphQL is, then you start to understand, okay, well, what problems come along with that and then how are each of these individual companies and projects addressing that within the framework of what GraphQL is. And finally, this is not a listener question, but this is a question of ours. Outside of GraphQL, what are you most excited about in the world of front end? I am really excited about this whole new front end build tool kind of thing that's going on. And people may have heard of ES Build, they may have heard of Snowpack or WMR or Vite. These are tools that are meant to either expand upon or replace things like Webpack and Rollup, which are your bundler type tools. For people who write a lot of JavaScripts, they'll, they'll know this very well. The, the way we write JavaScript these days is that you write your JavaScript project and you take that whole project and you basically run it through all these crazy transformations through build steps and compilers and all this kind of stuff to have that be something that can actually be shipped to the browser. And this has been uh, a step in the chain that's gotten like more and more complicated and crazy over the years. And it's why when you develop, you like your, your computer like chugs and you hear your fans going like nuts and takes forever to do anything. It's like webpacks run over and over the back. It's compiled like 10,000 files, do all this, all this ridiculous stuff. So these tools are about how do we rethink all this from first principles and not use JavaScript to do everything. That's kind of the, the real kind of killer idea is that why don't we just write JavaScript tools in not JavaScript? So ES build is written in Go. And then you also have these kind of Rust based libraries that are coming out as well. And you see these now being adopted by things like SvelteKit. SvelteKit was originally using Snowpack and then switched to Vite and now Vite is being picked up by Nuxt and ES Build is in Remix. ES Build is also in Redwood as well. So the, the transition is, is actually already happening in, in a way where most people aren't really even going to realize that that has happened and that it actually has already happened for, for the most part. And so if you're someone who finds this stuff interesting, like now is the time to dig into these, to these tools and kind of learn about them and, and gain some, some expertise in them because they're going to be in everyone's tools very, very soon. No one's going to know how to use them. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation today. Um, we will put links to a lot of the things we talked about in the episode um, description. So if you want to check out some of the things Anthony talked about today, 
that will be um, that will be there. So thanks again, and um, hope to have you back one day in the future. Yeah, thanks so much, Ben. I've really enjoyed the the show as you guys have been putting it out. I really enjoyed just the content on Log Rocket in general. I had been reading your articles for a while. I think it's some of the most fantastic content like anywhere online for for dev content. So thank you for for doing everything you do, and happy to be here. Well, thank you. We, we really appreciate that. Hi, thanks for listening. Um, please remember to like, subscribe, uh, email me if you want, even though none of you do. Go to logrocket.com and, and try it out. It's free to try. Then it costs money, but yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks.